welcome to The Prosperity Gap, where we discuss the financial gap that exists between you and your retirement. It's time to bridge that gap. Hello, Prosperity Nation. Welcome back to The Prosperity Gap. My name's Dave Hall. I'm the Prosperity Guy, and I will be your host. For those of you who listen to the show on a regular basis, you know I can't stop talking about The Prosperity Club. The Prosperity Club is something my team and I have been envisioning for over a year now, and it's finally open and ready for business. For those of you who are not yet familiar with what the club is, the Prosperity Club is an online membership club we use to provide instant access to our webinars, our brochures, and other educational content that we produce. If you join the Prosperity Club, you'll get access to hours of tax-free and risk-free retirement education that you can watch anytime and anywhere. So what are you waiting for? Go to my website at theprosperityguy.com to sign up for your account. Since taxes were first imposed in 1913, they've gone up and they've gone down, primarily because of different administrations in the government. Some administrations have run on a platform of lower taxes and less government, while others have run on a platform of higher taxes and more government. Some have got their way, others have not because of opposing parties. Tax rates have been as low as 1% during this period of time and as high as 94%. Can you imagine living during a period of time where you had to pay 94% federal income tax? But during this time, one thing has stayed consistent, and that is the overall percentage of tax that the U.S. has collected on an annual basis. The amount has stayed steady at right around 17% of the national economy. What hasn't stayed steady, though, is who's responsible for paying that 17% tax. The country could be in a period of high tax rates, but because of your facts and circumstances, you might be in a relatively low tax rate, or it could be the other way around. The country could be experiencing historically low tax rates, and you're paying more than you ever have. The biggest issue with most tax changes is there's a group of people who benefit from the changes and a group of people who don't. For those who benefit, they believe the changes were the best thing since sliced bread. For those who don't, they often think the world is coming to an end. Prosperity Nation, I'm not sure which side of the coin you're going to fall on, but today I'm going to be covering Joe Biden's proposed tax changes so you can start understanding what your tax situation might look like going forward. But before I do, let's take a minute for a word from our sponsor. Are you a CPA or EA who is tired of paying top dollar to get access to quality, up-to-date, continuing professional education? At CPAacademy.org, you will find hundreds of free, high-quality webinar presentations taught by some of the best educators and thought leaders in the accounting profession. There is no cost to create an account, and you can earn unlimited free credit for courses taught on the CPAacademy.org platform. Visit www.cpaacademy.org and check out the wide variety of free continuing professional education courses available today. A couple of things before I get started into what I'm going to cover today. First, everything I'm talking about is a proposed change. It has not yet happened, and some or all of it may never happen. Second, we don't have all the details on how some of the proposed changes will actually work. So I'll do my best to provide as much information as I can without injecting too much of my own opinion. So let's get started. Number one, impose additional payroll tax on those with W-2 income and self-employment income that is more than $400,000. Currently, there's no phase out for Medicare tax. You're going to pay that tax no matter how much you earn on your W-2. 
But Social Security tax caps out at $137,700 in wages or self-employment earnings. The new proposal is to create a donut hole between the current limit and the $400,000 where there would be no additional Social Security tax and then add the tax on to those who make over the $400,000 threshold. The purpose of the tax is to provide needed funding to help stabilize the Social Security program. The problem with the proposal is there's only 1% of the population that even makes that amount of money and some of that 1% are business owners who can adjust what method they use to pay themselves. For example, they could stop taking as much wage and increase their distributions. Therefore, I don't see a big benefit from this proposed change. We're not going to see a lot of dollars coming into the tax system because of it. Number two, increase the top individual income tax bracket for those who make over $400,000 a year to 39.6%. Their current bracket is 37% and could be as low as 29% if they qualify for the Qualified Business Income Deduction. The argument for this increase is that the rich are not paying their fair share. The argument against it is that there aren't enough rich people to cover the deficit they're proposing to cover. And the fact that rich people often have the ability to hire accountants and attorneys to help them create a structure to legally avoid the tax. Number three, Tax long-term capital gains and qualified dividends at the ordinary income tax rate of 39.6% on income above a million dollars. The current tax rate on long-term capital gains and qualified dividends is 20%. The reasoning behind this increase is that everyone should pay the same tax rate regardless of the type of income they're receiving. By making this change, it would stop rewarding the rich for investing in long-term assets which could have a negative effect on the economy, according to some experts. They claim that one of the reasons so much is invested into large real estate projects is because the tax benefits this type of investment offers. Number four, eliminate the step up in basis real estate gets at death. The law is currently structured to where if you die owning real estate, your beneficiaries inherit that property for tax purposes at the value of the property at the time of death. Under this proposed change, there would no longer be a step-up in basis, which means if you inherited a piece of real estate that cost the deceased person $100,000, but the asset is now worth $500,000, you would have to pay taxes on the $400,000 of appreciation. If the step-up basis is eliminated, all income levels will be affected because most real estate transferred at death is worth more than what it was worth when it was purchased. For the high net worth individual who has income over a million dollars, they could end up losing the majority of the asset value between capital gains taxes and estate taxes. Number five, phase out the qualified business income deduction for those with taxable income above $400,000. Currently, the qualified business income deduction allows many business owners to lower their marginal tax bracket down from 37% to 29%. If this deduction were disallowed and the top marginal tax bracket were increased to 39.6%, as it has been proposed for those making over $400,000, then there would be a percentage of the population that would see a tax increase of over 30% overnight. Those in favor of this proposed change are in favor of bringing more income equality to society by taking money from the rich in the form of taxes and giving it to the poor in the form of government benefits. Number six, Expand the earned income credit for childless workers age 65 and older. The purpose of this change is to use tax benefits to help reduce poverty amongst the elderly. Currently, 9.5% of the retired population live below the poverty level, 
and about 20% of retirees are working or looking for work. This proposed benefit would provide the lowest income earners with an additional source of income to help supplement their work earnings. Number seven, expand the child and dependent care tax credit from a maximum of $3,000 in qualified expenses to $8,000 and $16,000 if the taxpayer has multiple dependents and increase the maximum reimbursement rate from 35% to 50%. Lower income families are struggling to figure out how they can get ahead financially and still be able to take time for their kids. This benefit would allow more parents to work without having to worry about the cost of daycare. Many of those who disagree with this proposed change use the removal of personal responsibility as their main concern. Number eight, as long as economic conditions require, increase the child tax credit from a maximum value of $2,000 per child to $3,000 per child. There would also be a $600 bonus credit for children under age six. The child tax credit would also be made fully refundable, removing the $2,500 reimbursement threshold and the 15% phase-in rate. Low-income families with the most children will see the greatest benefit from this change. Many of those who oppose this change have two main concerns, the amount of fraud that happens when you have refundable tax credits, and that if benefits get so large, it may be a disincentive for those receiving the benefits from actually trying to go out and find a job. Number nine, restore the first-time homebuyer's tax credit. A first-time homebuyer's credit of $15,000 would be provided for first-time homebuyers. The cost of real estate is skyrocketing, and many lower-income or younger taxpayers struggle to be able to afford a home. This credit's designed to help those individuals get a hand up towards home ownership. Number 10, expand the estate and gift tax collection by restoring the rate and exemption amounts to 2009 levels. This would increase the estate tax rate to 45% and lower the exemption amount from $11,180,000 down to $3.5 million. This is once again a play to help redistribute the wealth from the haves to the have-nots. Prosperity Nation, there you have it. These are the top 10 proposed tax changes by Joe Biden. So what are today's top takeaways? First, the purpose of almost all the tax changes is to redistribute wealth. Second, government's going to get bigger rather than smaller. Third, there will be more fraud in the tax system. This will come from those who are trying to evade taxes because they earn too much money and from those who are trying to take advantage of the refundable credits because it's seen as free money offered by the government. And fourth, tax rates will eventually go up for everyone because tax increases don't happen in a vacuum. And there are not enough rich people to provide for all the proposed additional benefits. Therefore, these changes continue to confirm that this 0% tax bracket is where you want to find yourself in retirement. Because remember, two times zero is always zero. Prosperity Nation, it is time for questions and answers with our producer, C.R. Talene. Hello, C.R. Here we are another Friday. Dave, time is so crazy right now, but besides that, life is super crazy. It really is. Just so much going on right now. It's uh, somewhat unbelievable at times. And it's amazing to me how we can continue to work no matter where we are. And I think that's the best thing about what we have during this pandemic. Yeah, it is. Especially when we look at all the issues around us, when we look at the challenges, if you are exposed to COVID, the inability to be able to go outside of your home, it's nice to be able to make sure that everything can be done no matter where you're at. And I think that's the one thing you talk about all the time when you do all your education is you're always telling people how important it is that 
you not only get educated, but you can do this anywhere. You can be anywhere doing and learning what you're supposed to do. Yeah, it's amazing how things have changed. I talk about it with my kids all the time because back when I was a kid, it was hard to get information. We had those 27, I think maybe they're 27, 28 encyclopedias. There were more than 26, a couple of letters had two, but that was your knowledge. That was what you were going to get information from unless you went to the library and got a few books or you knew somebody that was super smart. Now, no matter what you want, you can get that information instantly. We even had an old encyclopedia edition, but you're right. That's how we gathered everything was from an encyclopedia. So don't tell me you were like my one friend who read them cover to cover. Whoa, no, (laughs) I'm a nerd, but I don't think I'm that big of a nerd. Yeah, I had one friend that he read them cover to cover. That was his book. So if someone else was reading whatever at Run Dick, Run Jane, whatever it might be, he was reading the encyclopedia. I used them for reports. So if you remember, we either went to the library or we used encyclopedias for most of our school reports. That's what we used them for. I occasionally look for different things. Yeah, I had some amazing pictures that were copied out of those that were on some of my reports, that's for sure. (laughs) Man, those encyclopedias were just awesome, weren't they? They were. And I can tell you, kids, be grateful you didn't live during that era as far as knowledge is concerned. Exactly. Well, Dave, I hope you can forgive my conditions today. It's hard. Everyone else can't see that, but I'm home today. I'll be home for a little while. And I'm recording through a a different means today. So I hope everything still sounds good. Yeah, no worries. I know that happens. I travel at times. In fact, I'm going to be traveling in some of the upcoming weeks. We'll probably have some of the same issues. So just glad to have you on the show today. Well, I'm glad. And Dave, I have three great questions today. So if you're ready, I'm going to start throwing these at you. Yes, let's go ahead and get started. Okay, so my first one's from Maria. And she says, can a self-directed IRA have both Roth and traditional funds. Maria, when we look at IRA accounts, they don't change because they become self-directed from what they were before. If you have a traditional IRA account or if you have a Roth IRA account that you've got set up with your financial institution, they are separate accounts. You cannot combine those because from a Roth perspective, that money's growing tax-free and you're going to pull the money out without paying tax on it. Traditional side, you're growing it tax-deferred and there's going to be a point in the future you're going to have to pay tax on that money. So you don't want to consolidate those or it's going to be an accounting nightmare. So you are going to have to have separate accounts, whether it's a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, if it's in a self-directed account. Dave, tell everyone that's listening what a self-directed IRA account is. Yeah, so we talked a lot about it during our webinar today. That's, in fact, why we're covering some of these questions here is to help give people a better understanding. But it's where you have the opportunity yourself to be able to invest in assets that you may not otherwise be able to invest in because the brokerage houses are not going to want to allow you to do that. So when we talk about self-directed IRAs, are they really only best suited for maybe savvy investors or somebody who already understands the investment side? Because I I feel like that's something that people will ask. The better chance of success you will have will come with the more knowledge that you have from yourself. So that doesn't mean that someone who does not understand the whole concept of the way they work today can't make it work for themselves, but it's like anything else. If you want to be a successful accountant, you need to understand what it takes to become a successful accountant. If you want to be a successful designer, you need to understand what it takes to be able to design the items that people really want to have. Same thing here. You can self-direct. And unfortunately, there are groups out there that would tell you everyone should self-direct. Put all of your money in here. You're going to go buy a bunch of real estate. You're going to make millions of dollars because they realize you have a pool of money that's accessible. 
This is the biggest problem we have with retirement accounts. Those in the equity in your home, people realize that that's money they can tap into, that they can access so they can get money off of you. So you do need to be very careful if you've got someone that's telling you, yes, take all of your retirement money, put it in here, you're going to be super successful, and yet you don't know anything about what you're doing necessarily, and it is 100% of your assets. Now you have no diversity, you have a very high probability of having major issues. And Dave, I see this a lot as we talk about many, many pieces of retirement that people are not diversifying enough and they just put everything into to one bucket and it really causes issues down the road because they have one person that's given them, given them the advice and they've taken that and ran and they've never really educated themselves on the rest. Yeah, the two biggest problems that we have with any retirement plan are fear and greed and they spur off of each other. Most people are in a situation, unfortunately, where they don't have enough money. They don't have what they need to be able to get them to retirement in the form and fashion they want to be in retirement once they get there. So they have some fear. There's this fear, I'm not going to get there. I don't quite have what I need. Well, then comes the greed side. Someone comes in and says, look, I can take those assets and the market's only giving you an 8% return. I can double your money. Just bring all of that over to me in this self-directed account, put the money in this investment, and you're going to be exactly where you want to be. Well, some retirement very quickly becomes no retirement. Once you do that for many people, because you don't understand what you're doing now, 100% of your assets are inside of there. If that falls apart, there's nothing left. There's nothing you're going to be able to put back in there. There's no way you're going to be able to fix that. That's the biggest problem that I see most retirees having with these type of plans. All right. So my next one's from Fred. And, and Fred asks, can spouses share a self-directed IRA? Fred, they cannot. These are separate accounts, just like the Roth and traditional account are separated. Same thing when it comes to spouses. So each spouse is going to have their own IRA. There's a lot of rules that govern the IRA as far as from a government standpoint and the amount you can contribute into these accounts, the way that they operate. So you will have to have separate accounts here. And Dave, as we talk about the self-directed IRA, I know in the past we've had another show where we talked a little bit about uh, collectibles and different things. What are the things can we be looking for with a self-directed IRA? Because we want to educate those listening a little bit further. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can go into these accounts. In fact, the majority of assets that you could invest in could go into your self-directed account. Biggest things that you're not going to be able to invest in are your collectibles, life insurance policies, or an S-corporation. Many people want to be able to invest money into an S-corporation using their IRA, and it's because of the way the S-corporation laws work. They cannot be invested in or have an owner who is not an individual. And your IRA is not an individual. Even though it's in your name, it's a separate trust account that's being held for you for your retirement. And that's held by either a custodian or a trustee, right? Correct. Correct. So you've got to have someone in the middle. And this is where some of these questions, I assume, are coming from that we've gotten so far when you look at trying to consolidate or trying to take you know, from a Roth to a traditional or consolidate spouses, is every time you have a new account, there's fees that are going to go with that. And people are trying to limit those fees down as much as they can. Now, most self-directed accounts, if set up correctly, are not going to require a ton of money. You'll be able to self-direct without having to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to do that. And to get a self-directed IRA, 
How does one get one of those? Yeah, you're going through a trust company who usually acts as a custodian. Most of them are set up where they do have a trust company behind them. Sometimes you've just got a marketing company on the front end that's then referring it over to a trust company to be the custodian. But you do have to go through a third party. You cannot do it yourself based upon the laws that the IRS has regarding the self-directed. But uh, they're easy to find. There's a lot of them out there. Want to look at price because the price can change dramatically based upon who you're investing with. And also look at their experience. What types of plans have they been used to putting together? What's been their experience with the type of investments that you're looking at to make sure you're getting with someone that can continue to provide you good service with what you're trying to do with your account? And so with a self-directed IRA, is it true that custodians can't give financial or investment advice on these? Yes, that is true. They are there to just make sure that those assets are being accounted for and they're being taken care of and that they're being put in a, an environment where the IRS can know what happened and that you can know what happened. They're there to just make sure that everything's being done correctly. So you're saying that the research that goes into this falls on the account holder like myself. And so that means any account management or due diligence, all that falls on the account holder. Yes. And this is an area where people may come back and say, I would never recommend a self-directed account because it's too risky. People are not and at a point where they can make that right of a decision for their own retirement. And there's some validity to this. We have situations where people, I've seen it with clients, where they've taken hundreds of thousands of dollars and put it into a private investment and lost every penny of it. And sometimes, many times, it was an investment that looked very good on the surface and an issue you do have to worry about. We want diversity in our retirement assets. If you're taking everything you have and putting it into a self-directed and then investing that into only one asset, no financial advisor would recommend that you do that. Dave, that's why I'm glad you're here to help answer these questions because I could see this on those listening on their minds right now, trying to understand how to put this together, but not only once they get it put together, how to make sure they're making the right investment. So I'm grateful you're here answering those questions. Yes. And people have to look at a lot of different options here. Self-directed is not for everyone. In fact, it's estimated that only about 10% of the population could really benefit from self-directed accounts. And as I mentioned, it is not for every asset you have. The last thing you want to do is take all of your money out of the market, put it all in your self-directed account, and then go buy your own personal business out of here. There will be a small percentage that will do very well, but the risk of a business failing is so great, you're really putting your future retirement at complete risk when you do that. And Dave, if they're to set up one of these accounts, what would be the top thing? Would you say maybe real estate would be one of the best uses for this? Usually that's what most people use them for. They want to be able to put money into rental property. We talked about it on one of our previous shows, the importance of putting re rental real estate property in there if you want to get to a tax-free retirement. But we see all kinds of things. I mean, it's so random what people can use and why they use these things. But usually it's because they have a knowledge of an investment and they want to be able to invest in what they know, which is never a bad thing. The more we know about something, usually the better we are at making sure that it makes money, the better we are at taking care of that investment so that it can grow and do the things we want. But real estate is by far the biggest asset that's going into there. Dave, my last question I have comes from Peter. And Peter says, can I use a credit card inside of my self-directed plan? Peter, no, you cannot. This is a prohibitive transaction. You're not going to be able to put that credit card inside of there with the way they work. Now, you can use a debit card. 
So if you have check writing control on your plan where you're able to write checks for expenses or whatever it might be for that account, you can put a debit card in. That's not a problem. It's just coming out of that bank account. But please make sure you don't get a separate credit card. Try to use that for the plan or you're going to have issues with the IRS. So David, talking about Peter's question, we talked about uh, risk that are involved. You talked about prohibited transactions. Are there anything else when you look at maybe fees or due diligence or exit plans that we have to be looking at when we're talking about self-directed IRAs? There are a lot of things, CR, that we need to be looking at. All those that you talked about are things we need to be looking at. We also need to worry about who we're doing the transaction with. Are they going to be a disqualified person? Are they someone that we can't do the transaction with? For example, maybe you have a piece of property, something people don't understand. You had a piece of property that you owned five years ago. So you bought a piece of land. It was something that you then flipped. You sold. Now it's come back up on the market. You're like, I understand that property. I know it. I want to use my money from my self-directed account to buy that. That's a prohibitive transaction. Even though you don't own the property now, because you owned it at some point in the past, now you can't do that. So it's really understanding who you can do business with and then understanding all of the details. And, and it's not something you can't do by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not trying to discourage those who want to do self-directed plans from doing them, but you need to be willing to put in some extra time and some extra homework to make sure you do it correctly. Well, Dave, thanks for answering all these questions. And I really hope that as we talk more about particular topics like a self-directed IRA, that people become more educated and they make those decisions on their own. And then they get with somebody that actually can help them. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more, CR. CR, thank you so much for being with us today, even though you're coming from your home office. It's been lovely. I've been surrounded by animals all day. That's great. Prosperity Nation, you have been listening to the Prosperity Gap. If you are ready to make changes in your retirement, if you're looking to get yourself to a tax-free and risk-free retirement, very simple. All you have to do is go to my website, theprosperityguy.com. Here you're going to find the tools, the knowledge, the information, all the stuff you need to be able to get yourself there. We now have the Prosperity Club where you can get instant access to everything that we produce. Go ahead and go to the site and sign up now so you can get access for free limited time. We're not going to have this available forever at this free price, but we do want you to take advantage as soon as possible so you can get in there and get access to this info. And my name's Dave Hall. I'm the Prosperity Guy. Look forward to seeing you on next week's show. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Prosperity Gap. To learn more about The Prosperity Guy, visit theprosperityguy.com and find out how you can get a tax-free and risk-free retirement.